0: What did the 2023 NFL season look like from a national perspective as pertaining to the Arizona Cardinals? And should the Cardinals really draft Marvin Harrison Jr. At four? Am I completely wrong? Brad Spielberger from pro football focus is going to tell me.
1: You are locked on Cardinals. Your daily Arizona Cardinals podcast. Part of the locked on podcast network. Your team every day.
0: Alex Clancy here. Follow me on Twitter at Clancy's Corner. Follow the podcast at Locked AZ Cards. Thank you for making Locked On Cardinals your first listen. Free wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. This episode of Locked On Cardinals is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On NFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash Locked On NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Friend of the show. Brad Spielberger at pff underscore Brad um, busy time of year for this gentleman. I'm happy he's going to take 10 or 15, 20 minutes to talk to me about the Cardinals season that once was, and you know the pivot towards hopeful relevancy and and inching towards more of a perpetual relevancy than what we've experienced with the Cardinals, especially over the last decade. So Brad, um, what's up? Hey, how are we doing?
1: Not much. I'm getting ready for Vegas. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Are you going? I'll be there for, yeah, Radio Row the week before. Obviously not the game, you know. Don't have it like that. But, yeah, it'll be fun.
0: That's awesome. So, 2023 season for the Cardinals was one that some called it, uh, you know, green ribbon, um, just trophies of, you know, participation and, you know, things like, hey, these are not what winning organizations get credit for usually. And I kind of – I talked in the abstract the entire season where it's like, listen, this is future pacing. This is proof of concept. This is – Laying a completely new foundation with a completely new, you know, GM, head coach, coordinators, etc. cetera. Kyle Murray's out for half the year. We all know what happened. From your perspective, and I know rumbling started like midway through the season where it's like, hey, something's cooking there in Arizona. It's like, do you see, especially being, you know, a Bears apologist, do you see like the brick laying working with proof of concept and now all it needs is kind of an infusion of talent?
1: 100%. Yeah, I do. We talked about this group a bunch, you know, not just sticking to priors and obviously what we'll, we'll see next year expectations come quickly. So there's no more, uh, you know, uh participation trophies and things like that going forward, but Yes, the the team decided to get young, to play their young players, let them go through growing pains. And you and I probably haven't talked about two guys that didn't start playing till later on in the year. I mean, B.J. Ogilari was maybe the best edge rusher on the team the second half of the season. And Garrett Williams, you know, working through an injury, starting in the slot, didn't play a ton of slot at Syracuse. I think he played a little bit, but... you know, I thought he looked better as the season went on as well, more comfortable. He is a good lateral athlete, and I think it, you know, kind of made sense to put him in the slot at first. I thought it was weird. Um, I watched him film the last couple of games of the uh, of the season, and, and he looked pretty solid. So – Those guys, obviously, Paris Johnson got better as the year went on. Michael Wilson was good pretty much right out of the gate. Even a guy like Keechfield Clark, yeah, there were some struggles, but he's the 180th overall pick in the sixth round, and you were able to play him at corner. So, yes, you're playing young talent. They're not totally overwhelmed despite the lack of, you know, kind of difference maker, force multiplier talent that can elevate some rookies that are put in tough positions. Yes, the proof of concept is there.
0: Well, and that's the thing. Like – there's a couple of things you don't want to see, especially from a top pick, where it's like, "Oh no, he's not ready," where it's that, "Oh sweet mother, what have we done, Kevin White?" Like, what, what is happening? Oh, sorry, that was just. I that, was that, that was love, that, that, that's, that's an example that's used. That's example that we can. Let's
1: do Denzel Mims. Okay, let's do somebody else. Sorry, I, I How about I didn't, the pick right of- after the Cardinals this year? Sorry. How about the pick one spot after Paris Johnson this year? Testing your knowledge, Tyree Wilson, Raiders head oh, rush, yeah, right. Who, who Texas barely Tech. played. Yeah, right,
0: yeah, exactly. That, that's wild. Yeah, really. Man, that was so long ago. That was a decade ago, at least. Yeah. So you know, with where you don't have the oh no's, especially from a corner and a pass rush spot where it's like, these are these are elite positions in football. They're very difficult, very few can do it at an elite level. And when BJ came out – his first game back, I'm like, Man, he looks slow. And then it's like, well, finally, you know. As, as he got his sea legs, as it were, he actually, you know, he's got great bend. You know, he's a guy that's really going to emerge, especially if they can get more than just him, a veteran pass rush or something like that, another one in the draft, whatever. And Garrett Williams surprised me the most because it was like, he's an NFL player, just like Michael Wilson. You saw it right away. It's like the game is not too fast for them. And one thing that I mentioned a lot this season was very rarely can you have young guys who just got drafted play meaningful snaps that mean nothing. In the grand scheme of win loss, and you know it's a back. That's one of the things where it's like you're speaking in the abstract because this doesn't really happen. A rebuild doesn't normally happen with a quarterback in tow already. So the fact that he was out, it kind of a blessing in disguise. Now talk to me about Jonathan Gannon, about Drew Petsing, about Nick Wallace, and you don't have to go deep here. I mean, this is somebody I talk about. You know, this is a team I talk about. You know, every day. But the overall unified front from a new head coach, who seemed to be the heart and soul of Philadelphia Eagles team that he left, or one of them. Talk to me about the coaching and what you saw and if it's a team that should be taken seriously moving forward.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you close out the season with a massive game against that former team. Obviously, some bad blood there. Maybe not bad blood personally, but, you know, the trade uh, or whatever you want to call it, the penalty that the Cardinals had to pay to Philadelphia for talking to him too early, whatever it was, that doesn't go away. You know, that's that's at the forefront of everyone's mind going into that game. And yes, the Eagles were reeling, but it doesn't take anything away from. I mean, they got kicked in the teeth, and Arizona looked good. That may have been Kyler's best game of the entire year as well. I think he trusted his legs more early on. He wasn't scrambling, he wasn't dancing around as much as normal. And you don't want that to be your bread and butter, but it is part of his value, part of his game. And the more he got comfortable doing that, the more results followed. So, yeah, I mean, Gannon, you need an influx of talent. You can't run a defense with just like, devoid of talent as he did. And like you mentioned Ojolari, for example, twists and stunts at LSU, he was phenomenal. And there's no one pushing the pocket in Arizona and, like, even enabling them to do stuff like that games up front. So that, I think, is clear. And then Drew Petsing as well. We've talked probably a bunch, but the, the ways you can look at how it, to isolate a play caller – unscripted plays the first 15 plays of a game they were good the entire year maybe not every single game but over the full season they were good on scripted plays they were good in the in the first drives of second halves i think for the second half of the season what i looked at so when you're making adjustments when you are maximizing like scheme and, and dialing things up as opposed to eventually in football games it becomes a battle of who are the better athletes like at the end of the day football is not complicated you can you know put some lipstick on a pig in certain scenarios but eventually you have to just have dudes right so in the areas where they could hide their lack of dudes, so to speak, like they excelled and they looked good. Um, you know, converting first downs and a new first downs, pushing the ball, being aggressive, it, it was all there. I think both sides of the ball at the end of the season were playing their best football, and it's all young guys that got that experience, got that exposure to the NFL speed like you're talking about. Um, it, it's hard not to be optimistic going forward.
0: Brad Spielberger at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. Um, yeah, one of the best over there. I mean, it's um, – let me – I call it a big boy offense coming from Cliff Kingsbury, where it's like you don't have to throw go routes on third and short every time you don't have to do it. You don't have to use your vertical threats laterally behind the line of scrimmage and a wide receiver screen solely. And I think what Drew Petzing figured out is old school football works. Run the ball, play action, use your tight end. And you. he happens to have one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, what I tell people is, before the season started, picture Kyler Murray in Cleveland's offense the last couple of years. And I know that Drew passing wasn't calling the plays the entire time with Stefanski there and everything like that, but the proof of concept is there where you can stencil this in. You infuse talent. You infuse a couple big wide receivers on the outside with Trey McBride, who is Steve Kime's last gift to this team, who has all-pro trajectory if he can replicate what he did last year and doesn't get hurt. Like, the Cardinals are going to be in business. Now, one thing I do want to ask is about Paris Johnson Jr. He was not a PFF darling during really any portion of this season. I've lauded him for coming in, playing every single snap on the right side where he hasn't played as much as the left side. Maybe it'll be easier for him to move over. What I want you to do for the next couple of minutes is explain to people, number one, Paris Johnson Jr.'s lower than average grade, even though the eye test kind of passed, and how difficult it is to move to the right when, you know, you're more traditionally a left tackle.
1: So, yeah, look, rookie tackles, even top 10 picks, don't grade very well in the first year of the NFL game. They just don't. It's not an easy position to adjust to. We talk about um, learning curves and, and kind of how long it takes certain positions. Of course, running back, you can be the best, best player in the league in your rookie season. Quarterback, tight end is actually a huge one. Tackle, those guys do not come out normally um, and make splashes right away. So that's the first piece there. And again, like we, obviously, we hope that gets better, but it's not some glaring, you know, flashing red sign The second thing is moving over to the other side of the the line. Broderick Jones struggled a whole lot more moving over to right tackle, in my opinion. And I like both players. But he had a harder time adjusting. He even talked about it um, than I think Paris Johnson did. Both guys, I thought, had kind of the same strengths and weaknesses coming into this year. They're great movers in space, getting to the second level, which I'm guessing is why the teams kind of wanted them on the right side. They lose the speed to power; that they're not, they weren't. They need to work on their anchor and get a little bit stronger and deal with more power rushers. But good against bend, good against you know the guys that can dip the corner, flatten their arc and get to the quarterback. They have the athleticism to match that, and both guys too, I think, have a. Functional handwork, but but Broderick, I think punches punches too often. I think you and I talked about Paris Johnson. I thought never punched and was like be more aggressive mm-hmm. and like pass pro is not always passive. And I, I just think you saw that over the course of the year, things kind of leveling out, getting better. So yeah, I'm not concerned about Paris Johnson going forward. His grade is not a, a a warning sign of things to come. You know, Andrew Thomas probably had a 50 grade his first year and a 90 grade his third year. Like it, it happens. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, right. but have patience. It's young tackle. Moving across the line is not easy at all. Um, The, the traits and tools are there. And I, like I said, I think he actually got better in the things that I thought as a prospect were his weaknesses.
0: And he played against some of the toughest fronts in football the entire year. He played against some of the toughest fronts in football. And he played, he didn't, it wasn't the, oh no, he's not ready. Because if it was, he wouldn't be playing. And he played every damn snap this year, which is a testament to a rookie who was figuring it out on a non-natural position. It's like, I know Jared Valdeur used to play with the Cardinals. I think he, because he moved to the right before he left. It's like, it's like learning how to eat with the opposite hand. It's like learning how to do everything with the opposite hand, you know, with, you know, and, and footwork is completely flipped and everything like that. So I think he did a hell of a job. And I think the trajectory is there for him to be that left tackle for the future. Now, what if the Cardinals drafted another left tackle and kept Paris Johnson Jr. on the right side to have a formidable front for Kyler Murray? Because remember, say it with me, kids. If you can't protect Kyler Murray, ain't none of this going to work. Brad's going to tell me why I'm insane for saying the Cardinals should not draft Marvin Harrison Jr. at four overall. He's normally a nice dude. He's not going to be so nice to me, I think, in this segment. We will discuss that next. We roll on here. Locked on Cardinals, your team every day. This episode of Locked on Cardinals is brought to you by LinkedIn. Um, uh, For those, you know, everydayers, you know that I have a huge history with LinkedIn. I found many job opportunities when I was working in radio. It's a place that everybody can come together. And if you're an employer, there are billions of people on LinkedIn, okay? It's not just another job board. More than a billion professionals are looking for work, are networking on LinkedIn, which makes it you know the best place to hire. Hiring's easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 80% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. So thankfully, with LinkedIn... The process is intuitive, quick, and easy. So post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Locked on Cardinals is also brought to you by DoorDash. So um, I work from home. I think Brad Spielberger, majority of the time, works from home. And working from home is a double-edged sword. It's great, and you're never really not working. So when you're hungry, DoorDash gets you Food, just just right at your front door. And it's not just the traditional places that deliver. A couple of places that I love here in Phoenix, Julio's 2 is a Mexican spot that they have these little mini chimichangas with this spicy jalapeno cream cheese sauce. Incredible. Uh, Postino, for a little bit of a lighter fare, two places that don't traditionally deliver, but DoorDash bridges that gap for you. Get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend 15 bucks or more on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCK23, subject to change, terms apply. All right. Alex Lancey locked on Cardinals. Uh, Brad Spielberger, pro football focus at PFF Brad, underscore Brad on Twitter. Um, he's all over that damn channel, all over that damn platform. Um, so let me preface this conversation. I um, mean, I don't say this as like disclaimer, hot take coming. Please c- agree with me here that anybody that says this may be a hot take before saying something, stop it. <laughs> say what you think. If people agree or don't agree, you may think it's the most vanilla take ever or vanilla thought ever. It's like, whoa, that's a hot... It's like, don't preface it by saying hot take. I mean, are we on the same, kind of the same page? I would agree with that. I would agree with that, yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So um, my thought process going into this draft, and thank you, Matt Prater, for missing that field goal against Seattle in week 18, because if he didn't, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be a Los Angeles Charger. So with that and the Cardinals winning... Beating the Eagles that makes this a little bit more difficult. It's Marvin Harrison Jr. or it's trade back. I mean, those are the two options. My disclaimer is I know Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to make this team better when they inevitably draft him at four. I understand that. And I'd be happy, I'll high-five everybody if you get to watch 18 on Sunday for the next decade. Hopefully, like that would be incredible. Number one. Number two, the Cardinals position group need ladder. There are three positions. There are more dire needed of, of talent and top talent than wide receiver. We're gar- like, and the wide receiver is, I mean, a wasteland's not nice because you know these guys are human beings. So, but it's like there's not a lot of talent in the in the wide receiver room, especially if they don't bring Hollywood Brown back. They can't rush the passer. They can't stop opposing wide receivers, and um, you know, blocking for Kylie Murray is the most important thing. So with that, and they can't, yeah, they can't rush the passer. They they have no push in the middle from the defensive line. Like, there is zero talent on this defense, arguably. You know, you have Kazir White, whatever. You have a couple guys, Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson. What will make this team better right away? A powerhouse offensive lineman, a powerhouse defensive lineman, a powerhouse edge rusher, or a wide receiver? And that's what I've been struggling with since we knew that they were going to be drafting number four overall.
1: I think it's receiver uh, comfortably. <laughs> I do. Not, And that's not just you know coming with that take, but I, I do because – Another kind of research we've done a lot on is when you improve an offensive line, going from bad to average is more meaningful than going from average to good. I'm not saying the Cardinals can't stand to dramatically improve their offensive line. They certainly could. You give two good players on the right side, uh, with the bringing back Will Hernandez, and Jelty Froholt I thought was solid this year at center. Yeah. not saying he's a difference maker, but he's pretty good. Um, yeah. And no question about it, the left side of the line w- was a problem, obviously, with D.J. Humphreys getting hurt in particular. So not debating that at all. But a guy that can separate quickly off the line of scrimmage, or a guy that the quarterback can just trust to throw the ball, and you know, like proactively and just assume he's going to make a play, it mitigates the issue of the offensive line dramatically, right? If you have a quick average time to throw, pass rushers aren't getting home on you. Like I'm not saying copy these offenses, but Miami Dolphins do not have a good offensive line. The San Francisco 49ers do not have a good offensive line. They have Trent Williams, and Miami's case, they have some good players, but it's not like an elite unit. But they throw the ball in two and a half seconds or less. To their incredible weapons. And we don't, we don't talk about that. Like, we're going to a Super Bowl where, in my opinion, you have Trent Williams and four replacement level starters on the rest of that that Niners line, and no one's even talking about it. And Steve Spagnuolo might be the best defensive coordinator in the entire NFL, and you don't even hear about it. So, that is the big thing for me. Look, I love Joe Alt. I, I love Olu Fushanu, I do. I think that here's the beauty of it. And I'll say it might break your brain even more. Even if Marvin Harrison goes three, I would still take Malik Neighbors at four over, hmm. over the first tackle. I think he is. That's what that text meant. Got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in most, I think in most draft classes, Malik Neighbors is a clear, obvious number one receiver on a board. We just happen to be in a year where Marvin Harrison Jr. exists, right? Like Neighbors has insane burst after the catch, before the catch, he is physical. I mean, he's like uh, people have said DJ Moore. I see some DJ Moore to his game. I, I get that comp. Like he is a phenomenal, phenomenal football player. He's 20 years old as of right now. All those things. So the beauty, though, I will say, with the 27th overall pick there are going to be starting caliber tackles and receivers there too. You've probably heard more about the receivers. There is great depth, you know, Brian Thomas jr. From LSU. And we can throw out a million different names of really good players, but there's also potentially going to be guys like Tali Fuaga at Oregon state, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. Like they're going to be uh, Troy Fatano at Washington, like very, very good tackles there too. So, yeah, it could be either or. I, I Just for me, making the biggest difference right away for the offense, I'm not even sure, it, you know, in my opinion, I'm not even sure it's a debate. It, it, it's taking Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah,
0: and that's fair. And listen, I, I've softened. Um, it's it's more like, and especially if they're going to move Parrish on Jr. to the left, you just draft a right tackle. I mean, it makes more sense. You draft him in 27. I get that. I have an obsession's wrong, okay? I knew Jordan Addison was going to be the guy last year. Like, coming out of the – like, he won the Cuff Award two years before that. People just forgot. He just They just forgot. And he's going to be great. You know, he wasn't perfect. I think Troy Franklin's going to be that guy this year where it's like, you can get a guy like him at 26. So that just accentuates my point. But I completely understand. You draft the best player available there. Steve Kahn never drafted for any sort of rational thought. Okay? So when you have the chance to do so, to really build a roster the right way, you do, and that's that's that. And then the last thing is, I call it the Nate Solder effect. So many times, offensive linemen and free agency get buku money, and it never pans out. And then you've got a guy who's not good enough to be retained by the team that he had before, or not worth the money that he wants on your roster, and it may or may not work out. Like if you can draft young offensive linemen and have your bookends for a decade, like obviously the most idealistic situation. So, like I'm, I get it. And listen again, I'll high five everybody. if if or when they draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Now, one last question before I get you out of here, Brad, to be over uh, pro football focus. Is there a world, and this is a little bit, we didn't talk about that. We were going to talk about this, but is there a world where a team values Marvin Harrison Jr. so much that they will move up or they will try to move up from seven, eight, nine to draft him and give a future first round pick? Is he that much of a transcendent talent where a first round pick could be had if a team gives an offer that's too good to refuse?
1: So first, I really real quick we will say, like, come to your side more. Like, I, I am still a believer in footballs one and lost in the trenches. Like, don't, don't, don't get that twisted. Like, I, I believe that philosophy. The good teams are all doing it for a reason. Uh, you know, I gave examples of teams that have schemed around it, and it's not an easy thing to do. Um, I just think the marginal returns now, you use a sixth overall pick after a trade up on a tackle, get a clear cut number one. I like Michael Wilson. He's a high end three, low end two, Marquise Brown, who knows? Anyway, so like, we're not we're not that far off. I'm being being cheeky, you know whatever. But yeah, fair enough. Potentially. Um, look, he, he is, you know, whatever cliche you want to throw, a generational prospect, all these things. But I think you are gonna hear more and more drumbeat that Malik Neighbors is almost in that same class. And then I think Odunze is a touch below. I've seen great you know, people that know football way better than I. Like, like Daniel Jeremiah said he thinks Odunze is right there. I think he's a tiny notch below those guys, but I think you have three top ten pick receivers. So if you're sitting at seven or eight, I think you might think. We could still get one. However, I mean, four, five, six could just be those three guys in a row, right? I mean, it really could. The Chargers would make sense, and the Giants would obviously make sense too. So, yeah, maybe. And then if you're Arizona, say, so, okay, we'll go from four to seven, get some extra draft capital, and take the first tackle or you know second tackle off the board. I'm not gonna like I'll, I'll be I'll be high fiving people for that too. Like, um, so yeah, maybe he, he is a special talent. But I think if there was a bigger drop off, and then like you mentioned, the Troy Franklins and all the other guys that are going to come off the board later on too. I think it makes it less of a priority, but I wouldn't rule it out.
0: Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus. Thanks so much for joining me, man.
1: Of course, thanks for having me.
0: Coming up next, we will talk about how what Brad said, you know, infuses into what I've been discussing over the last, you know, several months. With we'll that next, Locked On Cardinals, your team every day. This episode of Locked on Cardinals is brought to you by prize picks. Pick two or more players, more or less, in their projected stats. You can win up to 25 times of cheese, man. It's the best. Prize picks is the best. Um, they've got this reboot uh, entity where, say, a player in the NFL or NBA gets hurt in the first half and they don't come back in the second half. It resets and reboots, and it doesn't make you lose your entry just because somebody got hurt and didn't come back awesome go to pricepix.com slash on nfl uh and use code locked nfl for a first deposit match up to 100 bucks go to pricepix.com slash lockdown nfl and use code locked on nfl for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars oh was nancy locked on cardinals final segment brad spielberger at pff underscore brad awesome dude really happy to call him a friend in this business really smart um And he, you know, he always brings fresh perspective from the numbers, from a numbers stance, as well as just an overall national media stance, because we don't really know what people are saying about the Cardinals. Like, you know, uh, we'll see tweets and I'll read some articles and things like that. But having in-depth conversations about a team that, you know, wasn't really in the forefront of anybody's minds this year going into the season, even though they, you know, they picked up a little momentum for how they were doing things, regardless of the win-loss record. It's just nice to see. Now, he makes a really interesting point about Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison Jr. So, if Marvin Harrison Jr. goes one, two, or three, he's still thinking that Malik Neighbors should go four to the Cardinals. That's fascinating. That's fascinating to me. That was one of the biggest takeaways that I had from uh, from him joining me. That he doesn't see the gap being that wide, and he, maybe that's not necessarily fair. Marvin Harrison Jr. If he wasn't Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't in this draft, Malik Neighbors he thinks would be uh, the number one off the board. So we'll see what happens. I mean, that's that's the biggest like cluster bleep into all of this is if Marvin Harrison Jr. goes two or three. Like, I don't know, say, <laughs> I can't imagine Chicago would stay with Justin Fields. Like, I don't know. I mean, crazy things have happened. Marvin Harrison Jr. May go one, two or three. We don't really know. We're going to see combine. We're going to see the pro day for those who don't participate in the combine. I wouldn't assume that any of the top three quarterbacks would participate in the combine, maybe Jaden Daniels, but not hundred percent sure. I don't know how it could help them. And they'll just throw their pro day at their receivers and that, you know, on their home turf to make them look best possible. And Marvin Harrison Jr. Drops a four and listen, Uh, One of the other things that, you know, it's just interesting because if they do choose to move Parashanjou to the left side and there are some top right tackles in the late 20s and in the second round, I get it. You don't have to have somebody learn a new position. Parashanjou can be in his, you know, comfortable position and you draft the best player on the board that's not a quarterback at four. Like, again, I understand and I'm the more I'm talking about this and the more, you know, we're discussing offensive line and things like that, the offensive line didn't play terribly last year, namely the, the right side of the offensive line was actually above average. And the whole, everything changes with Kyler Murray, but if you're going to run the ball so as much as they do and, you know, rely on play action, you're going to need some extra time in the pocket and drafting, you know, the best lineman off the board would help with that. Uh, we'll see if they can splash in free agency with, you know, a, a lower impact, signing pertains to the salary cap there's so many different ways this choose your own adventure off season can start and that's the exciting part with the restrictor plate removed from this organization matthiasa for jonathan gannon etc have possibilities now you're not you know you're not hamstrung to only going one way because One of the beauties, and very few beauties, of the Cardinals roster is currently constructed is they need help everywhere. Fill the holes with talent. And then move on in 2024, hopefully winning a bunch more games than they lose. Remember, without you, there is no me. Alex Lanty, Locked on Cardinals. I'll talk to you tomorrow.